ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברכנוכם בבייס השם. Shir is in honor of Malchai um, Prakasya, in honor of his birthday. Shavari Chesyam Rishonim. Langi Gizun Tefelech Yorin. Also, we'd like to wish our uh, technology um, supplier, Moshe Sani, his upcoming birthday. Shavarichasyam Vishanam, long, happy, healthy years. If we can get the techie off his phone and monitoring the Skype, it would be very nice. So he would know what's going on. You see the camera's not on. That's my squirrel. Okay. <coughs> Technically, tonight should be, instead of a shear, should be a fabrengen. A youth-based Thomas fabrengen. What's greater happier, holier, than a day like you based Thomas. One of the letters the Friedrich Rebbe wrote, previous Rebbe, the Babich Rebbe wrote, 1922. The Rebbe wrote, from 1922, not a single week passed that I did not openly or secretly battle with the forces that were attempting to, to extinguish the fires of Judaism in communist Russia since 1922. The Rebbe did this in a multitude of activities. Covering every aspect affected Yiddishkeit. And as much as the GPU, or the KGB, or whatever they, whatever they call themselves at the week, they had to change the names weekly so that nobody knew who they were. The Secret Service of Russia. No matter what they tried to do, no matter what kind of deal they tried to strike with the Friedrich Rebbe, it was for naught. Friedrich Rebbe would hear nothing of it. I'd like to also wish uh, my daughter, Chaim Mushka Kaufman, and her husband Pini, Mazel Tov on the birth of their daughter, Mazel. my granddaughter. Yay! This past Matzai Shabbos, we were Zeicha to another Sarah Rivka. She'll live and be well. She'll give a lot of Nachas. Yiddish. Chassidish and to her parents and to the grandparents, etc. Amen. 
they have the same amount of children as grandchildren. We also like to give a shout out to our dear friend in Scranton, Pennsylvania, of Shlomo Fink, on the birth of his grandson in Silver Spring, Maryland. Hopefully, mention the upcoming bris will be on Monday, I believe. Um, we'll be in touch on that one. It just means a road trip to Silver Spring, Maryland. Yay, road trip! Okay, grow up. <laughs> Unprepared for the shear, not Chasson, unprepared for the shear. Not on the track of the preparation of the shear. I went today with a dear friend has a medical issue so he and his wife and myself went to the aisle took one car so we all go together And this standard question came about. Today's day and age is common practice, and it's not just from today. It's obviously a while already, especially after the World War, where so many people were left desolate without family, and so many were maimed and not able to continue growing a family. People took in war orphans and adopted them as their children. I believe, I don't remember which Rebbe it was, I'm not going to say therefore. One of the Chesidish Rebbes, also, all his sons are adopted. The Blue Rebbe remarried, and his wife's children, his wife's son is the Rebbe today. The question put forth why did the Rebbe and the Rebbe not adopt a child? So he too would lead the Lubavitch dynasty. Now obviously this is a question asked by non Lubavitch family a non Lubavitch couple. Explain a little bit to them what is a Rebbe starting with explaining the Friedrich Rebbe's activities the Friedrich Rebbe had tremendous Mesidus Nefesh. <coughs> now the word Mesidus Nefesh can be loosely translated. Giving over of one's life, abnegation in the simple thesaurus method, but when we read about it sometimes and we hear about it, it sounds so simple. Personal is Meser Nefesh. 
We read stories of the Holocaust. We read stories of the Inquisition. We read stories of all the generations that the Jews went through persecution and the great Mesidus Nefesh that the Jews put forth to survive. The Mesidus Nefesh the Jews subjected themselves to. Friedrich Rebbe as well had tremendous Mesidus Nefesh. And we know of the stories that Friedrich Rebbe went as a child yet, sent by his father to, the, to abolish a decree, which we've told the story before. And his father said, he asked his father, how long should I be there? He said, until Messias Nefesh. But you know, my friends, when we go out on the limb, as we say in America, and we sacrifice ourselves and we do something on our own in the form of Mesidus Nefesh, in a form where it's beyond the call of duty, we sometimes pat ourselves on the back. And we sometimes say, ah, Look what I did, look what I accomplished. This was something that anyone hearing about this or seeing this would definitely say that was praiseworthy. I deserve a little more than Nobel Peace Prize for it. The kunz is though, my friend, to ask somebody else to do the Messias Nefesh. To ask and impose on someone else to do that job. To ask and impose on someone else to literally kill themselves physically for a cause. Who has the audacity, who has the chutzpah to do such a thing? To tell someone else you jump into the fire for me. When it's a friend, we've heard stories of friends, and I've told the story of a friend. There's two boy, a little boy came home and told his father. He needs a lot of money, X amount of money, a large amount. His father said, for what? For my friends. My friends keep asking me for money. I need to bring them money. He said, friends? You have friends? The boy said, of course, Daddy, I have friends. Tell me who your friends are. Tell me your friends would bring money for you. I don't know, but they're asking me to bring money. I hear you, but would they do this for you? What would your friends do for you? It doesn't matter, he says. I'm their friend. I have to do for them. 
the father said, I want to show you an example how to test your friends. Keep your friends near and your enemies even closer, huh? The father took the little boy out to the backyard. And he took one of the sheep. And he slaughtered it. He took off the head and he wrapped it in a white sheet. No, 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 no. Don't have to add him. No. He add, he put him in a white sheet. He put his head in a white sheet. No. He told the son, Now I want you to go keep this under your arm. I go to your friend. And tell your friend you're in trouble. Tell your friend you have a problem, you killed somebody. And this is their head. And you need to hide before the police catch you. And let's see which friend takes you in. Child says, of course my friend will take me in. It's okay. Which friend did you want money for? He says, there's four friends. You have four friends that want money. Okay, start. He goes to the first friend's house. Okay. He goes to the first friend's house. And he calls his friend out and he tells him the story. And his friend starts to yell frantically, Are you Meshiga? Are you nuts? Are you insane? Get away from me! Says, but, but, but you're my friend! You need to help me! He says, I'm not your friend. Go away. But you said you're my friend and you wanted me to bring you money. Just keep your money. Get away! Um, I'm Mary. I'm and the boy was very disheartened. And he went to the second of the four friends that he really thought would help him. It has arrived. <laughs> You're cheating. It's <laughs> lemon, it's not fresh. <laughs> he goes to the second friend and he does the same. He calls him outside and he tells him the story that this is the head of the person he just murdered. And he needs to hide until he can get away from the police. And the same reaction, the friend drove him away like a dog. And so the third and so his fourth friend, all these friends that he wanted to bring money for because they were his friends, they suddenly turned coats. He came home very disheartened. Very rejected, full of disdain. And his father told him, My child, 
Here's money. I want you to go to the train station. Shh. You purchase a ticket to this and this town. When you arrive in that town, ask the people where to find this and this street. And on that street you ask for this person. Go to that person and tell him you're my son. And tell him the story. No, the son never even heard of this guy. It's not an uncle, not a friend. I, I never heard of this guy. <coughs> <coughs> there, the father said, there you will meet a shtickle friend. We're a little bit friendly. Child travels, and he gets to the town, to the destination, and he comes to the home of the shtickle friend, And he tells him, I'm the son of such and such from this town. And this is my story. This is what happened. The man said, what are you doing outside? Are you crazy? You're going to get hurt. He grabbed him. He pulled him into the house. And immediately gave him a meal. You must be tired. You must be hungry. Come, I have a special room that you can hide in. And he put him in the room and he gave him the food. And he fed him for days and days and weeks. Go back to the plus sign, pick him up. <sighs> he fed him for weeks, he kept him in the house. And then, after two or three weeks of this man looking after him like he was his own child, <coughs> the child took out the Fashtunkin ahead, which as we know, was the head of a sheep. And the child showed it to the man and said, I'm not a murderer. I never murdered or hurt anybody. But tell me if you would, my friend, please, who are you? My father says, you're a shtickle friend. A little bit of a friend. Please, don't spare any detail. Explain to me what this means, who you are, how you are friendly with my father. And the man proceeded to tell. And he spared no details. And he told the little boy a following story. Many years ago, I was in a town, JPT. You know, JFK is, right? The JFK Shul, you never heard of a JFK Shul? The JFK Shul is just for Kiddush. <laughs> yeah. JPT is just passing through. I came to the town, I was just passing through. Helped the Abish to the night that I was there, there was a pogrom. A guy was found dead, a mice, and the blame was put on me. Came before this <clears throat> trial, and standing in front of the judge, and I had no one to represent me, of course, 
I'm a stranger passing through the town. And the man, the judge, declares me guilty. And I was to be hung. The date was set. The joyous, jubilant time of the non-Jews of the town. I'm going to be hung. The Jew is being hung. He killed our brother. The day came, I was put up onto the gallows. The hangman already put the rope around my neck. When suddenly out of the crowd came running a man whom I've never met before. And he began to scream and to yell, No, 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 you can't do this. You're hanging the wrong man. Don't you see I am the same height, I am the same built as this man? This happened at dark at night. He has a beard, I have a beard. Nobody knew the difference. It wasn't him, it was me. And he immediately reached over and literally took the rope off my neck and put it around his own neck. And he screamed to the hangman, Pull! Hang me! I'm the murderer! I turned to him and I said, Excuse me, sir. I'm the convicted one. I stood trial and they're putting me, they told me I'm the guilty one. Who are you and how dare you say this? And this went back and forth. I pulled the noose off of him and he pulled the noose off of me. And as this went back and forth, the judge turned and said, it's not possible. It's not possible that he or he did this. And he set both of us free. And it was discovered about the program, and indeed nobody of the Jewish people did this. And we were saved. I asked him his name, and he told me his name, and that was the last I saw or heard of him. But this man, your father, was a shtickle friend of mine. Because he saved my life. Now my friends, the lesson was very powerful to this young boy. Where he saw what a true friend is. But when a true friend does something for another friend, gets up, goes on the limb, goes out on the limb for him, it's very meritorious. Some of us are parents of children. Some of us are waiting and look forward to being blessed very soon to be parents of children. Amen. When it comes to your child, a person spares not a moment. Not a moment's peace is in a person's heart if God forbid anything happens to the child. Put yourselves for a moment in the shoes of a mother online in the concentration camp and having their child torn out of their arms 
and put to, God forbid, the horrific decrees. The pain is just not indescribable. When a family came to visit the Rebetzin in her home on President Street, they came from England, and one of the little children in the family was walking around the house. And the child said to the Rebetzin, Where are your children? And the Rebetzin said, my children are in 770. The Hasidim are my children. A Rebbet takes on a responsibility for each and every Jew. When a Rebbe is Nasiyadir, a leader, a ruler of a generation, as Meshe Rabbeinu of a generation, every Jew, regardless, we've told stories upon stories of people that had no connection, that have never met the Rebbe in their lives. And the Rebbe told them things of what they had to do and instructions how they had to act and behave. The Friedrich Rebbe, under the communist rule, sent out many shluchim. He sent out emissaries throughout the horrific land of Russia. Many of those emissaries were captured, were caught doing what they were doing for Yiddishkeit, for Judaism, and the penalty was death. And Achman and Tzlan, they were put to death. For the Rebbe, this was a child of his own. 1978, when the Rebbe suffered a heart attack, this previous one, the doctors used to frequent the Rebbe visiting him afterwards. Mm. I've told this story many times as well. Now the doctor was in a rush one day and the Rebbe was very busy. And finally the, the Gabbai told the Rebbe that the doctor must come in. The Rebbe said, let him come in. And the Rebbe was sitting at his holy desk holding in his holy hands a letter from a chassid describing their problems. And the Rebbe was with his glasses on his face reading this problem. And the doctor came in and put the cuff on the Rebbe's arm and began to pump. But the more he pumped, the higher the numbers went. Finally the doctor gasped. He was in shock. The Rebbe heard the doctor gasp and realized what the problem was. The Rebbe took the letter and put it down on the table. The Rebbe removed his glasses And the Rebbe told the doctor, now take it. 
And if the doctor took the blood pressure then, it was normal. So the Rebbe said to him, I am sitting holding in my hands the problem of a fellow Jew. Yes, the Rebbe, what is this game? Do you expect me to be able to control a blood pressure? Of course my blood pressure is uncontrollable. What I see and hear, the turmoil, the trouble, the problems, the hurt that a chassid is going through. So you can well understand now, when the free of the Grebbe was given a notice, was told that Rahman al-Islam, one of his chassidim, one of his shluchim, one of his emissaries was killed, The first reaction of such a thing was to recall all the shluchim. Take the whole network and close it down because it's dangerous out there. But that was not the Rebbe's reaction. Not at all. As a matter of fact, the first thing the Rebbe did First thing the Rebbe did was send another shliach. And the Rebbe sent another shliach and another shliach. Did not leave a position empty, did not leave a position void, did not leave any hidden without a teacher, without a rabbi, without a mail, without a sheikhit. Even if it meant that his shluchim, Rahman al-Tsan, were being killed. This is what the Friedrich Rebbe says about Yutas Kislev. A Yomtev, where the Friedrich Rebbe comes out of jail, the Friedrich Rebbe who has put the sentence, a death penalty, Yud based Thomas, and the Friedrich Rebbe writes, it's not I, and not my family. Call Yisrael. Call Hashem Yisrael Yechuneh. Anyone refers to himself as a Jew, makes a reference to himself as a Jew, was saved on this day. And after Yud Beis Tammuz, Chassidus began to actually spread throughout the world, illuminating every area of the globe. We need to return to the Pasha. Yud Beis Tammuz, as I said before, should be a fabrengen. should be a gathering which we should sit throughout the night, telling the story of the arrest and liberation and explaining what had gone, what had transpired. I'd like to begin with a very relevant part of this week's Pasha. 
We all know Balak ben Tzipper received his name Balak ben Tzipper because he was a fellow that did black magic. The black one of the part of the black magic that he would do is with a bird, with the tongue of a bird. Did Moshe Avram? We know also black magic, witchcrafter. But this is not at all the same. Because one was done from Kedusha, one was done from the opposite. Amen. Amen. So Bullock hires, instead of an army, he figured he's going to take the cheap way out. Instead of hiring thousands and thousands of soldiers to go to battle against the Jewish nation, he decided to go to the Goyesha prophet, the non-Jewish prophet. Well, he was almost like the Muhammad of the nation. Bilam Arasha. And he asked Bilam to come and curse the Jews. The fact is the Jews are blessed, as we learn from Yitzchak Avinu, the blessing to his children Yaakov and Esav, to which he says, HaKel Kel Yaakov. The voice is the blessing that Yaakov gets. We are blessed with a voice. What does our voice do? Our voice prays. That's why they say, David And therefore we are obligated, when we have a problem, when we have an issue, to pray to God and to see to it that we believe in our prayers we understand the power of our prayers and we see to it that our prayers are answered by God sometimes we tend to not understand what the answer is Bachaja similar to the little girl, little boy that gets an answer, doesn't get the bicycle that they asked for, and when they're confronted, God didn't answer you, they say, yes, God answered, God said no. Bilam Arasha was employed to curse the Jews. And the entire episode that takes place of Bilaam traveling on the donkey and the donkey talking to him, the donkey seeing the godly angel and the donkey squashing his leg, etc. Bilaam comes to a point where he feels, okay, he's going to try to curse the Jews. Well, who, what is donkey's name? Who's that, Naftali? Huh? We got one more in the house. Huh? Rabbi. His donkey's name was Donkey. Not Bala? No, Balak was the guy who was going to work. Balak was the king that hired him. Same as the one in Shrek. His name was Duncan. The most famous of words that Bilaam is quoted, and he's quoted not only in the Tata, but quoted on a daily basis by each and every Jew, no matter what they belong to, and no matter what circle they come from, 
Matevu Ehalecha Yaakov Mishkanei Secha Yisrael. Ironically, this posseg is also recited by many people in the beginning of a chuppah. When the beginning of the chuppah, the chazan will come down the aisle and sing Matovu Elech Yaakov Mishkanatzach Yisrael. Yes, you had it by your chuppah as well. Sure. Some of these things you don't remember from that wedding. You got drunk? No. Yeah, he looked at a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, please. Anyway, (laughs) Bill Marasha is the one that says the words, What happened, says Rashi? Why did he say this? Rashi explains to this little Ben Chomish the Mikra, to that five-year-old chap that's learning the Rashi, the Chomish. Al shera pischeim sheina mechuvanim ze mulzeh. He looked down at the camp of the Jewish nation. He saw the way they pitched their tents, and the entrance to the tents did not face one another. This caused such an impression on Bila Marosha that he was able to pronounce the words How good is it? Your tense, Yaakov. Let us examine and see what lesson is there to us. What do we need to learn? What do we need to understand from this Pasuk? What do we get? What do we derive from the lesson that Bilham Rasha has gotten? We learn from this until how much is the Kayach of the Hakpada on Inyanitznias. A hakpada is something that a person it's a very negative power, a very negative force. The negative force that comes about Rahman al when the slightest slight of modesty of Tsniut is uh, is affected. We see before as we mentioned, Rashi said, He saw that the tents were not facing one another, the entrances. That one could not see into the tent of his neighbor. We find, therefore, This is only a small, small, minute fact when it comes to tznias, to modesty. A simple issue. We don't look into people's houses. It's not acceptable. But still in all the strength of this Akpada, because of this small little issue, 
that even Bilam Arasha was welled up. It came to his heart, I can't curse such a nation that they take such a little minute factor uh, level of this uh, modesty of the sneers and they make such a tremendous thing of it. From here, we say, A person should not say, I only have to keep the main important things of Tznius. But even the smallest little thing, No proof that we have to be so, so careful about it. And all of the das, a person must know shigam prat kotin minyonitznius in yin ikrihu. The smallest, minutest fact when it comes to tznius is a very important fact. Until how far? By keeping the proper laws of, of modesty, of tznius, we can turn over entire decrees against the nation. We're six. Are you working on the rest of the meeting? This is therefore the lesson that we come to learn from this. A person could sometimes allow the Yitzhahara to explain to him and tell him that he has to only be careful on the small little things. Only the small little things are something that's a set mitzvah. But a mitzvah that's not so set, a mitzvah that floats around sometimes this way, sometimes that way, you don't have to be so careful with it. This is the lesson, Matevu Elecha Yaakov. the Ehel, the tent is not a formed, is not a solid thing. A tent, we pitch tent, and we journey afterwards, we fold our tent and we move on. We pitch tent, and we fold our tent and we move on. A house, you don't build a house, and then take it apart and move it somewhere else. A house is a dover kavua. A tent is a dover aray. So the lesson now is more relevant than ever. Now, my friends, comes the summertime, where people go out to the countries, to the bungalows, to the homes, or to whatever they go out to, and they say, Ah, I left my Tznius booklet at home. Here is a different level, I don't have to act that way here. Here I can be more frivolous, Rahman al-Islam. Because it's not home, it's Arai. It's a bungalow. Or even it's a vacation home, but it's a vacation. It's not a home really, it's not a physical house. And they tend to sometimes lose focus. And they tend to think that maybe Tznius is not so relevant, Chas V'Sholem. Tells us, Even when it comes to an actual tent, a simple tent, one must be very careful.
Towards the end of the parasha, we learn about the concept of humbleness. From modesty we go to humility. And they are hand in hand. For when a person is humble, they are also modest. Mm. When a person humbles themselves, they don't find a need, they don't feel a need to do things that are not boisterous. They traveled in sukkahs. They lived in tents. <laughs> we talk about humility, how a person has to be humble. A story is told of a little boy, one of the Tzlan, lost his voice. And the father came to the Alter Rebbe and he asked the Al-Tarebbe for a bracha to save the child, to give it back his voice. The Al-Tarebbe said, I can't. But I want you to travel to a city in Germany called Metz. And there in Metz, you'll find a timber man, a fellow that works in wood, in timber, and logs. You're to stay in his house. You're to keep your lodging there. Laibish, come here. Keep your lodging there. And you should just walk the streets. Just walk the streets, go around, go to the marketplace, go to here, go to there. And lumberjack, timberman, lumberjack, lumberman, and do nothing else. Don't look for work. Don't look for anything. And there you will find your Yeshua. No, the man didn't have a penny to go to a store. Where is he going to find money to go to Mets? But, huh? And, huh? No. And so, the Chsidim got together, they raised the money, and they paid for his trip. And he and his son traveled to Metz. Yes. They come to the town and they ask around about this fellow and they say, yes, up on the hill is where this timber fellow lives. Lumberjack. This lumberjack. Lumberjacks. They come to his house and they tell him the Altarebbe sent him. And he said, wow, how did Altarebbe know I was here? But if the Altarebbe sent you, please, you'll be my guests. And they came to the, to the man's house, and they stayed, they ate, and they slept, and this day, and another day, a third day, and they just roamed the streets all day long. Father and son, arm and arm. After a week or so, the host turns to them and says, Listen, 
Gesundheit, hey, you can stay here. I have no problem hosting you. It's wonderful having guests here. I only have a question to you. What are you doing here? You're not looking for work? You're not doing anything, any jobs? Why did you come here to Metz? And the man said, We're here because my son lost his voice. And the Rebbe said we would find it here and we should stay by you. Aye, he says, you don't need me. I want to tell you a story. Story and story. Many years ago, I used to go every day to the Bismedish and observe the people sitting and learning. There was one fellow, one young man, that learned with such beautiful hasmada, devotion, dedication. It just took me to the roots. I inquired, I found out he has no food sometimes. He has no lodging, he has nowhere to sleep, nothing to eat. He's a poor, poor fellow. But terror means everything to him. And so he would sit and study day and night. I felt very bad. And I started to give this man money. Started to give this young man food. I would invite him to my home. Make sure he had a meal three times a day. Bye, The day came. And the young man said, listen, I greatly appreciate what you're doing for me. But I have a problem. I can't accept charity like this. Let me work for you. Let me work. What do you do? You do lumber? Mm -hmm. You have logs, you have everything. Build me a little shed at the end of your property, where all the wood is. And I'll sleep there, I'll live there, and I'll watch over your wood. And this way I feel I earn my money, so I don't feel like I'm just accepting tzedakah. So the man agreed. They built a little hut, a little shed, and the boy sat there and studied Tato all day. One night, this lumberjack, okay? Thank you. <laughs> well said I <laughs> lumberjack woke up middle of the night he needed a cup of water and he sees by the shed there's a fire now fire to a guy who deals with wood is not a good sign especially since this fire is right in the middle of all his wood he says I invade this kid is a shlamazel look what he's doing here he doesn't know how to watch over my wood. He's watching my wood. He's killing. He's destroying my whole panasa. And immediately he grabs his coat and he runs out in the freezing cold to go put out the fire and he comes to the house. By yellow day nano, there's no fire. There's nothing. No, now what? Comes back and the next day he tells his wife, last night I woke up and I saw this fire by the shed and I ran out and the fire was gone 
I, I'm a little bit uh, weary of what's going on. Are you working on getting a meeting? You're playing solitaire. Yes, I'm working on getting a meeting. I call the people. I tell them to come. What else you want me to do? Nope. The wife says you're missing. The kids are. A few nights later. A few nights later, again, the lumberjack sees the fire. He wakes up his wife this time and says, come here, look. And she looks out the window and sees the fire. And she says, what are you standing here, Shlomazel? Go, go, run and put it out. He goes to run to put it out. They know there's no fire. So they understood this boy is a little more than what they thought it was. So the man decided to jump on the opportunity. And the next day he approaches the boy and he says, Young lad, I have a proposition for you. You're a man of age already. I have a daughter. I'd like to offer you my daughter. And the boy said, Fine, so be it. But there's a condition. What's the condition? The condition is you build us a house on the other end of the town. You're going to like this one. And never come visit. You're to never come visit us. We'll come to you. We'll come when we're ready. But don't ever come to us. The lumberjack wanted this man as a son-in-law. And he accepted it. And the arrangement stayed as such. And every so often... They'd come, they let them know a new baby was born, etc. And the daughter sounded very, very happy with the husband. So the parents let this go on. You definitely, if the Rebbe says, the man says now, the lumberjack says to the chassid, if the Rebbe sent you here to me, he didn't send you to me. He sent you to my son-in-law. Take your son and go to the end of the town and talk to him. And lo and behold, that's what they did. They picked up and they walked to the end of the town. And they knock on the door. And the young man opens the door and he tells him his story. The Al-Tarebbe, Shnezamali sent me to you because my son, Rahman al has lost his voice. The young man looks at the father and son. And he says, I don't believe it, he found me again. Well, next this time I'm moving and he's not going to find me. And he benched the boy, and the boy was healed. But he left town shortly after, so not to be seen. <coughs> A similar story happened two generations later. By the Tzemach Tzedek. He had a chosid Rebetzal from Osirich. Rebetzal met a fellow, a Yid, who had an inn. In his journey, Rebetzal stopped by this fellow's inn. The fellow told him that I have a shepherd, a faithful shepherd that works for me, and he doesn't want to sleep anywhere except for on top of the oven. 
top of the fireplace. And he goes up, he has a little nuke over there, a nuke over there, and he goes in there. But I have a little issue with this kid. He seems very strange. I never see him make any brachas. I never see him wash his hands. It's a very awkward situation. So Rabbi Tzal took this to be his mission. And he approached the young man and said to him, Tell me, I hear you don't wash your hands. Why? And the young man looked him straight in the eye and said, None of your business. <laughs> he asked, I hear you don't make any brachas. Why? Same answer. None of your business. And this went on and on, and every question he asked, he got the same answer. He learned to back off quick. He backed off, and he left. And he felt very, very despondent that this could be his mission that he was sent on by the Rebbe, and he did not do anything. Kitzel, <laughs> the Tzal went on his journey, and a year later he shows up in the inn, and the innkeeper says, Help! Bitzal, you got to help me. He says, What's the matter? He says, One day, I wanted to see if this boy was for real. I can't imagine why he wasn't making brachas or anything. Turn it off. So I went to the field to see maybe he's not even watching my sheep properly. And as I came to the field, I hid in a small corner under a bush. He didn't see me. And I heard the boy reciting Tehillim. But the Tehillim was in such a special, holy voice. And the tones were so special and holy, I knew this boy was something different than what we thought. There's a problem. Now that I knew the boy was special, I looked at him differently and treated him differently. And he obviously noticed it very quickly. And was not happy with it. Because he was very hidden about what he did. <coughs> One Shabbos afternoon, ten big goyim came in the house and they said, do you have this and this boy here? I said, yes. We're here from the other, next town. And the general said, we have to take him and draft him to the army. I said, well, well, well can we wait till after Shabbos? He says, nothing doing. He's got to go right now. But, 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 you know, he figured if he could push it off till after Shabbos, then he can gather, rally the people together and tell them what kind of special person this person really is. Maybe, maybe something could be arranged to save him. They would hear nothing of it. It was fighting, they were screaming, they were yelling, and they took this boy by force, and they walked off with him. This innkeeper was going crazy the whole Shabbos. He was plotting until he was able to make Abdullah. 
And as soon as he made Abdullah, he figured, maybe if I run to the next town, maybe I can still save the boy. And so he started to run, and he came to the next town, and he found the general there, and he said, General, there were ten people today in my house, they came to draft my shepherd. They said you sent direct strict orders that he had to come today. General looked at him and said, I'm sorry my friend, I have no idea what you're talking about. There were no orders given, there was nobody sent, and nobody was brought back here. And as he told the story to Rabbi Tzal, Rabbi Tzal started to cry and to scream and say, look how foolish we are. We had a tzaddik nister in our midst, and we didn't recognize it, we didn't understand and realize it. And so much so, that Malachim, literal angels, had to come to take him away from here, because he davened, that Hashem should take him away, even on Shabbos, because he was discovered, and he did not want anyone to chas to show him, have any kind of thought that he was anything special. And so this is a lesson of the Pasha, of the Atzen Alechas, of how one has to go with Tznius, how one has to go and be careful and immaculate in how they do each and every mitzvah. And this is the lesson of Yudbeis Tamuz, the Geula of the Friedrich Rebbe. The birthday of the Friedrich Rebbe, Yudbeis Tamuz. We'd like to also mention Yudgimot Tamuz, the outside of my grandmother, Shamashav and Aliyah. And it should be Zecha that before Yudbeis Tamuz, Shachrus, we should all be taken to our Gula, to our redemption, to Yerushalayim, Yerakadesh, and should be with Mashiach Tzidkenu. Shabbat Shalom to all.